0: has always intended that his people would be different than the world around them. Now, typically, when we think about being different because of God, we think in the area of morality. And to be sure, morality is included in what it means to be different because of our connection to God, because we are his people. But it's not limited to morality. The difference is meant to be seen in every area of our lives. It is meant to be seen in our morality, in our attitudes, in our actions, in our priorities, in our values, in our reactions. It is meant to be seen every area of our life. And the best way to learn how God's people are to be different from the world around them is to study the life of Jesus. Jesus is our model in all things. Jesus perfectly reveals the Father. Jesus perfectly demonstrates the Father's will. Jesus perfectly illustrates how we are to live and what we are to be. Today, we're going to look at an example from Jesus' life so that we can learn how we're supposed to be. And this will reveal our second gut check question for this series. Open your Bible to Matthew chapter 20 and verse 20. That's page 700. And 51, if you have a pew Bible, when you find that, I'm going to ask you to stand on to the reading of God's word. <clears throat> it says, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him with her sons, kneeling down and asking something from him. And she said to him and he said to her, what do you wish? And she said to him, grant that these two sons of mine may sit on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. But he answered and he said, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink of the cup that I'm able to drink, that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism, which I'm to be baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. So he said to them, you will indeed drink my cup and be baptized in the baptism. ...that I am to be baptized with, but to set on my right hand and on my left. It's not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were greatly displeased with the two brothers. But Jesus called to them, to himself, and he said, You know, the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to be great... Among you, let him be your servant and whoever desires to be first among you. Let him be your slave, just as the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray. Our father, we love you today. You are great and awesome and worthy of our praise and worthy of our devotion. Father, as we study the life of Jesus. Help us to understand what it means to follow him, what it means to be like him. God, as we look today. At this gut check question, let us examine our lives honestly, help us to be willing to do business with you today and not to gloss over things that may be challenging or convicting in our hearts and in our lives. Father, let your Holy Spirit use your word today to search us and try us and see if there's anything in our lives that's not the way you would want it to be. And Father, let your spirit and your word reveal to us anything that's not right, anything that's not as it should be And God, let it grieve our hearts that there's things that are wrong. Father, let the desire of our hearts to be more like Jesus. Let us respond in faith today. Apply your word to our life and let us go out today, tomorrow, and the rest of the week that we would be lights that shine brightly for Jesus. Let people be able to see Christ in us, in our attitudes, and our actions, and in every area of our lives. Fill me today with your Holy Spirit. That I could speak your words and your ways for your glory. Give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. Be glorified in all things. We love you, Lord. Let us take your word to heart. And let us make much of Jesus in all of our lives. We ask this in his mighty name. Amen. You may be seated. Now to really get the, feel the weight of what we're talking about, we have to understand the context. In the context, Jesus and the disciples are headed to Jerusalem. And this visit to Jerusalem will be his last. It will be in this visit to Jerusalem when Jesus is rejected, crucified, and dies and rises again. And so at this point, he is spending a lot of time with his disciples trying to prepare them for what's about to happen. And so just in the verses above this, he says, he speaks of this and he says, Behold, we're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed by the chief priests. And the scribes and will condemn him to death. Deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and discourage to crucify. The third day he will rise again. Now the words that he uses there to describe what's about to happen are all kind of bad. Right? I mean, betrayed, mocked, crucified, died. All of this to, to, to let them understand what is about to happen. What he came to do. And it's in this context of where Jesus is headed that we find our story today. And it's interesting the kind of the... The contrast, here's Jesus telling his disciples, we're going to Jerusalem and it's going to be bad. I'm going to die. They're going to betray me. They're going to kill me. They're going to crucify me. And then after all of this, it's like they say, well, hey, that's great, but we have a question for you. Is there something we would like you to do for us? Right. And and verse 20 says that the mother of Zebedee's sons came to him, kneeling down, and she asked something from him. Now, in Mark's account, in Mark 10... Mark says that the sons were the ones that asked the question. And it doesn't mention the mother. And I thought about this. Why the difference? And I think what happens is, Mark kind of gives us who was behind it. And I think Matthew's account gives us who actually asked the question. And if that's the case, and I think that it is, what we find is that James and John go to their mom. And they ask their mom to go to Jesus to ask him, to do something for them. And that's what we see. And so Jesus said to her, what do you want? And she said, grant that these two sons of mine may sit on your right hand and the other on your left in your kingdom. Now, what the boys wanted were positions of authority when the kingdom of God was fully come. Now, likely, their idea of what the kingdom of God would be like is Typical of the other Jewish people of the day. They expected that if Jesus was the Messiah, that he was going to at some point basically amass an army. He was going to overthrow the Roman oppressors, kick them out, set up an earthly kingdom based in Jerusalem, focused on the Jews. And then what they wanted was they wanted to be seated on either side of him. Now, these were these were places of honor These were places of authority. In a lot of ways, these would be the, Jesus in the center would be the most important. And the person on his right hand would be the second most important. And the person on the left would be the third most important person in the kingdom. The most influence, the most power, the most authority. So they said, hey, when you set up your kingdom, we want to be number two and number three. Whichever way you want it to go. And Jesus, he says to them, you don't know what you ask. And I like this. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink? Now, and be baptized with the baptism I'm going to be baptized with. He's talking about his death. Are you, are you able? You ask this great honor. Are you ready to face what I'm going to face? Are you ready to suffer alongside me in order to be glorified alongside me? And in what has to be the quickest answer ever that shows they had no concept of what he was talking about or what he had meant in verse 18 and 19, they said, oh, yeah, we're able. And the reason I say they didn't understand is because it's not going to be much longer when Jesus is arrested. What are James and John going to do with the other disciples? They're not going to seek to be baptized with him. They're not going to seek to drink the cup. They're going to get up and run and hide. They really don't understand. They're focused on the glory. They're focused on being served. They're focused on being important and influential. In verse 24, I find humorous. He says, And then the, the ten heard it and were greatly displeased with the two brothers. Now, it would be great to say that they were displeased because of their, their humility. Gosh, how could you ask something like that? You guys, that's not the right way to act. But I don't tend to, given the character of the other ten disciples at this point and their their own spiritual immaturity, I kind of think they're displeased because they're thinking, why didn't we think of that? They asked first. Now they're going to get it. Why, Why didn't we think to do that? And Jesus takes this time and he begins to tell them about the difference between living in the kingdom and living in the world. Between living for God the Father and living for yourself. And he says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. And those who are great exercise authority over them. Right? And he's, he's demonstrating a contrast in, in the world. Those who are great have power and authority and they use it to be served. Right? That's what it means to lord it over them. I outrank you, therefore you do what I say to do. I have authority over your life. Do what I command you to do. That's how the world operates, Jesus says. Yet it shall not be so among you. The world seeks for power and prominence. The world seeks to be served. But not so among you. For whoever desires to be great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Now, these are are powerful words that he uses. If you want to be great in the kingdom, you don't seek greatness by seeking authority. You don't seek greatness by seeking places of prominence where people have to obey you. Instead, if you want to be great in the kingdom... You be a servant. Now servant there, and this is huge, because our idea of a servant is different. right? Our idea of a servant is maybe like a waiter or a waitress. And while waiters or a waitress they sort of submit themselves to those that they're serving, there is kind of a limit to what they will do and what they won't do. And if all else fails, a servant, a waiter or a waitress, they can just quit, right? I mean, If the people act too ugly, they can always just get up and walk off the job. The word that Jesus uses for servant there, it's not one who has that sort of a mindset. A servant, as Jesus describes it here, is someone who who basically submits their will to the will of another. It pictures someone who honestly gives up their own desire and gives up their own form and function in order to do execute the will of another and to emphasize what he's talking about there. He says, if you want to be first, be a slave and again, a slave, right? Not not a servant who gets paid, but a slave. Who gives up their will for the will of another in the world, people seek greatness through authority. In the kingdom, people seek greatness through service. In the world, people seek to be served. In the kingdom, people seek to serve. In the world, people seek to be masters. In the kingdom, people seek to be slaves. In the world, people seek to be first by making sure they're the most important. In the kingdom, people seek to be first by putting themselves last and putting others ahead of themselves. But Jesus... Gets even harder with his words, because Jesus isn't someone who who is a do as I say, but not as I do kind of a guy. Jesus, when he calls people, he says, follow me. Follow me and do what I do. Follow me and learn from my actions on how you're to act. Learn from my attitude on how to be, what kind of attitude to have. Learn from me how to have priorities. Learn from me how to be and to do in all things. And when it comes to being a servant, he set the example here as well. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came and he became a servant. He put the needs of others ahead of his own needs. He did for others and not for himself. His service was demonstrated in a lot of ways. Jesus demonstrated his service by teaching people. They believed wrong, they needed to know what was right, and so he taught them. Jesus served people by doing miracles. They were lame and they needed healing. They had no food and so he multiplied the food. He, he loved, he forgave, he cared. He, he put the needs of others ahead of his own. So in the kingdom, people follow Jesus' example and they serve. But in the world, people seek to be in prominence and they seek to be served. And so our, our gut check question for this week is this. Do I follow Jesus' example of serving or the world's example of being served? In your life, all of life, what example are you following? Are you following Jesus' example and you're a servant to all? Or are you following the world's example and you demand to be served by all? Now, it's easy to give a quick answer like the disciples did in verse 22, but we need to really understand what it means to follow Jesus' example of serving. There are four characteristics of Jesus in his serving that we will emulate if we are trying to be like Jesus and if we are servants as he is. The first is, I willingly give up my rights. Potentially, this will be the most difficult. But I think they're all four difficult if you know the honest truth. We are a rights-obsessed culture, aren't we? Our rights cause us to act ugly. Our rights cause us to treat people badly. Our, our rights cause us to do all kinds of things that, that we shouldn't do. But we feel that it's our, it's our right. In, in the name of our rights, we demand our place in the checkout line. In the name of our rights, we fly off the handle in anger. In the name of our rights, we make sure no one takes our place at the four-way stop. In the name of, of our rights, we, we fuss, we grit, and we're rude to the waitress because our service is slow or our food is cold. In the name of our rights, we act horrible. Over the most insignificant issues of all. But is that how we are supposed to act? If we're following Jesus' example, what will we do? Well, here's what the Bible says Jesus did. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Now, let me stop there. Here's what that means. Jesus was God in the flesh. Therefore... It was not robbery. It was not wrong for Jesus to consider himself equal with God. So because Jesus was God, is God, he could have demanded people treat him as such. He could have demanded people washed his feet. He could have demanded people bowed before him. He could have demanded that people worship him as God while he walked on the earth. But instead, he made himself of of no reputation by no reputation, what that means is there was nothing really significant about the way Jesus looked. Like, you remember the story when Jesus went up on the Mount of Transfiguration and he kind of glowed? Do you know he could have done that all the time if he had wanted to? I mean, he, he could have made himself look in such a way that people would have been astounded by him. They would have been drawn to him, but he didn't. He made himself of no reputation. Instead, he took the form of a bondservant or again, a a slave, a servant of others. Coming in the likeness of men. See, Jesus had all the rights of God while he walked the earth. But he willingly let all of those go. He willingly let those pass and did not demand his rights. And Paul said, let this mind be in you as well. Emulate his example. Do as Jesus did. Maybe you do have a right at the four-way stop. But how big of a deal is that anyway? Maybe you do have a right to, to act ugly. Maybe you do have these kind of rights. But are they, are they worth it? And really, a part of what I think about this is that Jesus had far more rights than we can ever imagine. And he didn't demand them and he didn't cling to them. What does it say about me when I say, sure, Jesus didn't demand his, but I'm going to demand mine? I mean, am I more worthy of my rights than Jesus was of his? Are you? Are you more worthy of your rights, whatever rights you feel you may have, than Jesus was of his rights as God? Now, surely we would all say, no, no, I'm not. And if we would answer, no, I'm not, then perhaps we ought to live like, no, I'm not. Now, here's the thing about not demanding our rights and not clinging to our rights. That means sometimes I'm going to have to turn the other cheek. That means I don't always get to get even with people. That means sometimes I have to let people get one over on me. I have to to let others have their way instead of me always having my way. I don't know how you are. I'm not real good at any of that stuff. That is hard. But if I'm going to follow Jesus' example of service and not the world example of being served... That I have to willingly give up my rights just like Jesus did. And if you're going to follow Jesus' example of serving instead of the world's example of being served, you're going to have to willingly give up your rights as well. The second characteristic is I will actively serve others. Jesus was active in the way he served people. He he took the initiative. And taking the initiative, I think, is a huge thing. To see the need and do what we can to meet the need. I mean, obviously, if we don't know about a need, we can't do anything about it, right? And I used to think that meeting needs was kind of a passive thing. That as long as I didn't know, I didn't have to worry about anything. But if somebody came to me and said, hey, here's a need, can you help? And if I could, I should. But in recent years, I've come to believe that meeting needs is not meant to be passive, but active. Not only should I be willing to meet needs if someone comes to me, but I should actively look and see what needs are around me that I can do something about. You know, Proverbs says things like if you hear the cry of the poor and you do nothing about it, your prayers will be hindered. And I think it's easy for us to kind of symbolically stop up our ears and not pay attention to what's going on. And to say, well, if they were to come to me personally, then I might. But I, I'm not just going to look and get involved. But if we're going to follow Jesus' example, we, we have to, to actively look. Here, here's a great example of this from Jesus' life. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper, He laid aside his garments and he took a towel and he girded himself. And after that, he poured water into the basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Now, this is a huge thing. Familiar passage. But washing feet was a, well, it was a slave's job. And it was like the least important slave's job. Because, I mean, think about it. Washing feet's kind of nasty, right? And with washing feet, they didn't... Wear shoes. They wore sandals. And I don't know, again, with you, my feet, sandals make my feet stink terrible when I wear them, especially in the summer. And, and walking around in a, in a dusty world, there was just dirt ground and dirt floors and dirt streets with animals that didn't really know where the bathroom was and just thought it was everywhere. And you walk in that and you step in that all of life. Your feet get kind of Nasty. And so here's the the Son of God who takes it upon Himself to get up and wrap Himself in a towel and wash their feet. Now, here's the way that was a need. They, They didn't typically eat like we do. We... We set up and eat, right? We either sat at a table or we sat in a recliner and we set up like this. They sort of lounged around. I would lounge for you and show you what it's like, but I'm not sure I could get up again. But they kind of laid. The tables were low and they laid. And so their feet were almost like in each other's faces and around each other. Hey, how are you doing? Right? And that's how they did it. And so there was the need that they could all see it. Everybody there knew nobody had washed their feet. You ever been in a room with people where you knew everybody didn't wash their feet? That's what it was like there. Jesus saw the need. He didn't wait for somebody to say, hey, Jesus, my feet stink. Would you mind washing them for me? He didn't do that. He saw the need. And he got up and he did what he could to meet that need. See, that's the example that that we're supposed to, to follow. Everywhere we go, every day, there are people who have needs. There are people who need something. And if we're attentive and if we're alert, we can see it. Now, the needs aren't always the same. Sometimes they're physical needs. Sometimes they're spiritual needs. Sometimes they're emotional needs. Sometimes they just need a friend or somebody to listen to, somebody to vent with, somebody to pray for them and pray with them. Sometimes they may need money. They may need somebody to cook them a meal, take them out to lunch. Who knows? But right now we're in a room filled with people that have needs. And wherever you go today, you're going to go to a place with people that have needs and where you go tomorrow, you're going to go and be surrounded by people that have all kinds of needs. There's never a lack of need. but There's a lack of people willing to meet those needs. And what we tend to do, what I tend to do, I'll say, Amy, I won't put my shortfalls off on you. I'll see that Jacob has something he has a need about. But I'll say, if he comes to me, I'll do everything I can. But I'm not going to go to him. I'm not going to actively serve him by doing what I can to meet that need. And certainly. To be willing to respond is better than nothing. But it's not the example of Jesus. When Jesus saw people were hungry, they didn't ask him to make food. He just did it. Jesus didn't wait for people to come to him and say, tell us what the kingdom of God is really like. He just taught them. And then there were times where they came to him and they said, hey, will you heal me? And he did. He did both ways. That's how we're supposed to be. You and I, if we're to follow Jesus' example of serving instead of the world's example of being served, then we need to look and see the needs of the world around us. And then take the initiative to do what we can to help. And as a church, churches are meant to, to be a place where we And we can be that. And certainly as a corporate body, we should. But what we do corporately as a church should only be a reflection of what you and I as individuals are already doing. You and I should be so busy seeing and doing what we can to help. That it's just a natural thing for our church to chip in and to help as well. I'm going to follow Jesus' example. I have to actively... Serve others. Thirdly, and this is hard, I have to submit my will for the benefit of others. Submit my will for the benefit of others. Jesus' ultimate act of service was to give his life as a ransom for many. And it's easy for us to forget that before he went to the cross, he said these words. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. You ever been so sad you thought you could die from sadness? That's kind of the picture there. Stay here and watch with me. And he went a little further and he fell on his face and he prayed, saying, oh, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will now. We're familiar with this passage, and if you're familiar with it, you know that it's like his sweat fell as great drops of blood. That's some pretty intense praying. That's some deep sorrow in it. And he prayed for it to all go away, for him not to have to drink the cup of of suffering, for him not to go to the cross, to have all of our sins put upon him and to die that awful death. That was his prayer. But he said, not as I will. As you will. He submitted his will to the Father's will. And here's a big one that we often forget. He submitted his will for our good. God, if this is your will, and if it will be for their good, I'll submit my will for all of that. Submission is a huge part of service. Because nobody ever always feels like serving. Serving. Nobody ever always feels like letting everybody else or somebody else have their way. And we, at times, we have to submit. And we have to elevate the will of another over our will. And I want you to write this down because this is a huge point about submission. It's not submission until I don't want to do it. We don't submit to do things we want to do. We just do them. I don't submit to go to the gym most mornings. Most mornings, I like going to the gym. I'm excited about the opportunity to go to work out some aggression, to start my day in that way and to move on. But if someone were to say, could you meet me at the time you normally go to the gym for breakfast and talk, or could you do this instead? For me to do that would be an act of submission. I would have to put their will... And what they needed ahead of what I typically want to do. And that's a part of what it means to serve others. To put their will above our will. Now, with submission is sacrifice. Jesus submitted his will to the Father's will. He submitted his will to our need. And then he sacrificed his life for us. That was the ultimate way of showing how to serve and meet the needs of of others. Sadly, what many of us want is we want to go to heaven without ever sacrificing ourselves. We want to go to heaven without ever submitting our will to anything else. We we want all that Jesus offers without ever having to do anything that we don't want to do. But that's certainly not the way the Bible describes living the Christian life. Jesus describes taking up our cross and following him, denying ourselves daily. Paul speaks of being a living sacrifice and of living for Jesus and not of ourselves. Sacrifice and submission. That's a part of the basic Christian life. That's not sacrifice and submission, they're not extras that are added to the Christian life. Well, you you get saved and then you live a good moral life and then when you grow really high and you get really close to Jesus, then suddenly you start submitting and sacrificing. Man, when people wanted to follow Jesus, he said, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. These are, these are basic things. Basic Christianity is submission and sacrificing. And in that light, it's important for us to understand. If I live a life that is not... Submitted and is not sacrificial. That is a life of selfishness, is what it is. If I don't ever do anything I don't want to do, then I'm living a life filled with sin. And that sin is selfishness. And here's what I want you to ask yourself Who wants you, who wants me, to live a life of selfishness? Well, we have the world. Which is a part of our great enemy. The world is the system that is organized against Jesus. And and our world certainly tells us to live for yourself, doesn't it? The world says you shouldn't ever have to do anything that makes... Man, our our world is so focused on our rights and our never having to do... That I I, I shouldn't even ever have to see something I don't like. I mean, much less do something I don't want to do. Man, if somebody posts something on Facebook I don't like, I can report it and it'll get removed. I can can complain about anything and everything and, and, and expect that nothing I will ever see will ever be outside of my comfort zone or my lack or my wants, much less my due. So the world, for sure, wants us to live a life of selfishness. Then there's our flesh, our sinful nature. Our sinful nature is always pulling back against the Holy Spirit. So if the Holy Spirit says, submit and sacrifice, my sinful nature says, no, don't do it. So my sinful nature. And well, I mean, the devil, I mean, let's just be honest, certainly he doesn't ever want us to submit and sacrifice for the sake of others, the kingdom or for Jesus. So the reality is, if I don't ever do something I don't want to do, I'm really not living for Jesus. I'm living for the world. I'm living for my sinful nature, or I'm living for the devil, but I'm not living for Jesus. Submission and sacrifice are a part of the Christian life, basic Christianity, much less what it takes to serve others. If I am following the world's example, seeking to be served, I will never do anything I don't want to do. But if I am following Jesus' example of service, And there are going to be times where I say, I don't want to do this. But nevertheless, not as I will, as you will. And I will submit my will to another's and I will sacrifice my time and my comfort and my preferences for the sake of another. Without doing that, we we will never follow Jesus' example. And then finally, I'll let Jesus decide what honor I deserve. It would be easy to say, well, I will do this as long as everybody recognizes what I do. As long as everybody says, man, look at that. What a servant, what a disciple, what a follower of Jesus that person is. But that really wasn't the way Jesus did things. I mean, how many times did Jesus do things and then say, don't go tell anybody that it was me? Jesus just did what needed to be done. And then he let God the Father determine what glory he deserved from it. The Bible says this. After, it says, therefore, because he has done everything he was supposed to do, God has also highly exalted him and given a name above Every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those under the earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, on the earth, Jesus didn't really get a lot of glory. I mean on the earth, they, they all pretty much rejected him, except for like 120 people in the book of Acts. They all shouted crucify him. They, they all denied him. They, they all ignored him. But there will be a day come where they won't anymore. He will receive the glory he is due at some point. When the end of all things comes, all those who have mocked and belittled the name of Jesus and rejected him and his sacrifice and all that he has done, they will see him in all of his glory. They will know they have made a terrible mistake. But that's not going to happen just because Jesus set out to say, glorify me, worship me, honor me. He just set out and did what needed to be done. And he knew the day would come when God the Father gave him whatever glory he deserved. It would be easy for us to do what needs to be done so long as we knew people would recognize it. And people would honor our service. And and I would love to say that that will always happen. But the reality is, many times we are going to serve the Lord and we're going to do what we're supposed to do. And there won't be a person... In the world who sees it. There won't be a person in the world who notices. There won't be a person in the world who cares. But. We take heart because we know that Jesus saw that Jesus cares. Revelation two and three is filled with stories of Jesus talking to his churches. And in every church, he says this. I, I know your labors. I see your works. Some of those churches were poor and persecuted. They, they had nothing. No one saw. No one cared. But, but Jesus let them know that he saw. And he let them know that he cared. See, you and I, we can be confident in our service to Jesus because we know that he always sees. There's nothing that we have ever done in his name for his glory that went unrecognized by him. He always saw it. He always cares. And when the time is right, he will give us the honor that he knows that we deserve. He will give us the rewards that he thinks we have earned. But it's up to him to give us that. Now, you contrast that with the world. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, when you go out and you give alms, when you do your good and help others, don't be like the hypocrites and do it so that everyone sees what you're doing. But don't, don't do it and then say, look at what I've done. And he says that if you do that, you'll likely get the honor of man. But that's all that you'll get. But when you give your alms and you do your good deeds, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. And your father who sees in secret, he will reward you openly. See, the world wants the world to see it. The world wants the applause and the clapping and the, oh, you're awesome and you're wonderful. And if we want that, we can get that. Post on Facebook what you did. Be sure and let other people know all of your good deeds. And there will be people who praise you for it. But according to Jesus, their praise is the only praise you will ever get. But if we do it. The knowledge that nobody may ever see. No people may ever know. And our father who sees in secret. He will give us a reward. That's far beyond the applause. That the world can give us. And again, I think this is hard. Because, I mean, I don't know. Again, maybe I'm just proponing myself upon you. But when I submit my will and I sacrifice, I went pat on the back. Good job, way to go. And if I don't get it, I'm really tempted to tell people. Maybe now again I, I'm just gonna I'm gonna tell on myself. Or like I'll tell my dad, text my dad, Well today I went and did because I know see that's not really bragging to the whole world, but I know what my dad'll do. My dad will say, hey, that's great, son. I'm proud of you. Woo! Right? But I'm missing out on the glory that God might give me. If I put someone else ahead of myself, by golly, I want them to recognize that I put them ahead of me. Because I'm pretty important. I like myself. I like to do what I want to do. And if I don't do what I want to do so that you can do what you want to do, You need to let me know you appreciate it. That's me. But Jesus says, don't do that. Don't be that way. You just do what you're supposed to do. And if God thinks you deserve any glory, and if God thinks you deserve any honor, then God will give it to you. But until then, you just keep on doing, and you keep on plotting, and you keep on trusting. The God who sees in secret will reward you openly. With whatever he knows and he thinks that you deserve. Now these are the characteristics of Jesus. And these are the characteristics that will be evident in our lives. When we are following Jesus' example of service instead of the world's example being served. So here's what I want you to. I want you to to close your eyes for a second. I want you to close your eyes and engage your imagination for just a second. Imagine. You go home today after church. And when you get home, you choose to follow Jesus' example of serving rather than the world's example of being served. You put the needs of your spouse or your children ahead of your own. You submit your will. You sacrifice for them. You don't do it so they'll say how good you are. You you actively Do what you can to meet the needs that you see that they have. And you do that. What would be different in your home? Would you have a better marriage or a worse marriage? Would you have a better relationship with your kids or a worse relationship with your kids? How different would it be if you live that way? And then tomorrow you go to work and you determine... You're going to follow Jesus' example of service on the job. And you're going to serve your employees. And you're going to serve your employers. And you're going to serve your coworkers. No matter what. At the end of the day, are you going to have more peace on the job or less? More strife or less? A better relationship with your employers and your employees and your coworkers or a worse one? I mean, you take this and you can apply it to your neighbors. You can apply it to your, fa- to your extended family. You can apply it to your church family, to your community. What if you're just going to serve my church? I'm going to serve my community like Jesus has served. Would it make things better or will it make things worse? I believe it will make things better. So let's choose that, that you and I, let's choose as individuals that we are going to do it. Now, here's what I want to say about this. Don't say, I'll do it if my wife does. And I'll do it if my kids do. And I'll do it if my co-workers do. Not everybody appreciated what Jesus did. See, it's not up to you to say, I'll do it if. Let's just say, I'll do it no matter what. I'll do it no matter what and just see the difference that living like Jesus makes in the world that I'm in. Let's stand as our musicians come.